0: Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the Blog Cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host. Today, we're having a return um, organization back on Animal Farm Foundation. Um, the executive director, Stacy, was on at the very beginning of Chats from the Blog Cabin and talking about how they were bringing pets into nursing homes via zoom so it was a really cool opportunity and today we're talking with nikki who works for with animal farm foundation about service dogs and unfortunately Fianna was supposed to be on um one of the ladies who actually received a service dog from animal animal farm foundation but she was not able to be on so i'm hoping to schedule her on later so it's a really great Show we talk about the misconceptions and the stereotypes that some dogs get, like pit bulls, um, German Shepherds, uh, Rottweilers, um, Bloodhounds. There's another one that we spoke about, um, I cannot remember, German uh, Pinchers. And so it basically talks about, you know, how the stereotypes of that, and that this organization goes through and goes through shelters, and finds these animals that would otherwise be stereotyped as difficult animals, and basically makes them an amazing animal for someone who has mobility problems, anxiety, emotional problems, their they're service dogs, which is amazing, and I absolutely love that idea. So, I really hope you enjoy this episode, and I will put in the show notes the episode with Stacy. In the show notes so you can go back and listen to that as well stacy actually makes an appearance in the commercial that i play for animal farm during our um chat and also i will also put in the show notes the organizations um where you can find them at how you can contact them how you can donate because y'all we need to save these pups these pups are amazing i we have one um pitbull mix gg who is absolutely the absolute least, most loving dog ever and she has so much anxiety, and she's so scared of her own shadow, it's not even funny. Whereas our 10-year-old Shih tzu, one minute you're petting her, next minute she's snapping her and biting your head off, just basically. So, you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't judge a dog by its breed. So, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, we're talking all about service dogs, pit bulls, which I have grown to love in the last year because of Gigi coming into our family, and the Animal Farm Foundation. Now, before we get started, you may remember I actually interviewed the Executive Director, Stacey Coleman, about a year ago when COVID hit, talking about how they were bringing um, animals via zoom into like nursing homes and things like that. So today I am joined by Nikki and hopefully Fiona will be joining in, in a little bit talking about her service dogs. So Nikki, welcome
1: to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I have to say, I love that intro. I was a little Jamming out there. It's so cute. Great job with
0: that. So let's talk about how you got involved with the animal farm foundation.
1: Uh, I have been with Animal Farm Foundation for about eight years now. Um, I have loved animals my entire life, um, as most people I think do. (laughs) Um, And I have uh, a dog myself, I had two one passed away um, in 2020, unfortunately, but we do have another one. Uh, And I was moving, so I was looking for a job in a new town and I had an opportunity. I had a lot of administrative experience, so I had started there, um, not really knowing how much goes into um, owning a dog that's labeled a pit bull and what that all involves. Um, So I had started just as doing administrative stuff and the eight years that I've been there, I have learned so much um, about dogs and about how Uh, much dogs and people go hand in hand and dogs live in the context of people. So um, I really grew to understand that whole thing. So I think we think about dogs and people, people separately a lot um, when really it's, it's about the people and the dogs. So let's talk about what you guys are doing
0: with pit bulls because pit bulls get a very bad rep. And honestly, I will have to say that I kind of was on the side of caution with pit bulls. But now since Gigi's come into our life, I can't imagine having without not having Gigi in our life at all, because she's probably one of the sweetest dogs ever. Matter of fact, she is probably sweeter than our 10 year old Shih Tzu.
1: So, oh, well, that's so great. I've I've seen that a lot where I think it's so important for people to. Um, have some great experiences with dogs that are labeled Pitbull, uh, because they are just dogs. Um, and we should start all treating them the same way. Uh, we really, um, and hopefully Fiona can talk to you guys about our service dog program in a little bit. Um, but uh, some other things we started this year um, is working with housing insurance. So um, a lot of people, if they have dogs that are labeled Pitbull or sometimes other labels like German Shepherds or uh, Doberman Pinschers, when they go to get insurance um, for their housing or they go to rent a property, they run into the issue of my insurance doesn't allow your dog um, or the homeowner's insurance will say we're not going to insure you uh, because of your dog. Um, and that's a big reason why people surrender their dogs to animal shelters. Um, I think we, m- most people will go to the ends of the earth for their dogs. Um, and, but un- but unfortunately, there's a really big uh, barrier there with the insurance, the housing insurance industry. And what we found is we really got involved in the housing insurance arena this year. And we're seeing that there's really no actuarial data that's that there's no reason why they have these breed restrictions on housing. So we're saying like, knocking on the insurance company's doors this year, saying, hey, what's going on with this? Uh, Why are you using these restrictions? And and really talking to people about how it it not only discriminates against you um, or your dog, it's discriminating against you because of the way that your dog looks. And that's not fair. There shouldn't be any discrimination in insurance industries. Um, There's committees that make sure there's no discrimination. So we're talking to those committees too as well and saying, hey, look, like this is really discriminating against the people who own these dogs um, and this really needs to stop. Uh, And one of the things that we did uh, to help really show the insurance commissioners in your state um, that this is a problem. If you've had any issues with getting homeowner's insurance or you've had trouble renting uh, because of the way that your dog looks, you can actually reach out to your state commissioners and let them know what's going on. I actually, before we started, had no idea um, what an insurance commissioner was or what they did. (laughs) Um, But their job is to protect the public And they need to know when the public um, and the consumers are being discriminated against. So we have a website called um, dogs, people and housing insurance.org. It's it's separate from animal farm foundation.org. We we welcome you to share that website, to go on that website. And um, it's, it's a very uh, laid out, very easy for everybody who's interested. We have sample templates on you know, what to say, um, how to send it, where to send it. Each, we have a list of each state commissioner. Um, so you can go to right to your state, find your commissioner, find out who your commissioner is, uh, where to send a letter, how to file a complaint online. Um, let them know that this is a problem, that this is something that, that you're struggling with or that you've struggled with in the past is finding insurance for your pet or for yourself because of your pet.
0: Now, honestly, they other places discriminate against pit bulls and rottweilers and German shepherds as well, because I know one of the name brand companies, um pet companies that you can go into, they don't allow them to participate in any type of Function that they
1: have, why are they given such a bad name? Uh, You know, the media has done a really good job at perpetuating the myth uh, that these dogs are more dangerous than any other dogs. Um, So, I, and there's outdated studies that people reference a lot, studies that have been since determined to be inaccurate. Um, So, because of those two things, we've, and going back to the media, I just want to say there's some research out there that, you know, we find that they'll, even if a dog creates an, some injury happens because of a dog and the media wants to report about it, they're misreporting the breeds of the dogs a lot of the time, because Mm -hmm. just like sharks, uh, when you put you know, a shark in a headline—it's people want to click on it. When when you put pitbull in a headline, it makes the story more exciting and clickable, mm-hmm. and the media wants those clicks. So, um, they've done a really great job um, at just perpetuating that myth. Um, and pitbulls are haven't always it hasn't always been about pit bull dogs. If you look throughout the years, there's been dogs that have been stereotyped uh, going back into history. Um, German shepherds, bloodhounds, fits even. Um, So it's sort of a perpetuation that keeps happening. So our job now is to stop the buck stops here and we're going to stop. We're not going to blame any other dogs for anything. There's been so many, um, advances in learning about the canine genome and dogs and dog behavior that we know that you can't look at a dog and say it's going to behave a certain way. Um, You can't look at a dog and know what's in its DNA. So we want to stop it here and say dogs are dogs and let's move forward and focus more on being a responsible owner looking at who you are as a dog owner are you leashing your dog when you're supposed to be leashing your dog are you licensing your dogs are you um may, you know taking all the proper precautions as a dog owner as all dog owners should
0: um you keep mentioning german shepherd and i will say we had when i was growing up we had a german shepherd and she was probably one of the sweetest dogs we had ever had she loved to play with we she was an outside dog and we had a poodle he wasn't a the bigger one and he wasn't a toy poodle he was like the mid-sized one and he loved to play with her and she would get enough of him. I still remember stories because her name was Coyote and my dad called her Mrs. Gazop. My dad come up with some weird names for our dogs. But like when storms were coming in, because in North Carolina, we always got hurricane. We always have hurricanes because we're on the coast. And so we would bring her inside and Peanuts would try to play with her and she would just turn around and she just them upside the, you know, the nose with the paw and peanuts would back away. But then when peanuts would r- run underneath the couch, she would try to follow him under the couch. And unfortunately she couldn't fit. <laughs> but she was one of the sweetest dogs ever. And so I can't even imagine what the German shepherd. And do you think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you said media, but also movies. A lot of times you see the most vicious dogs are the pit bulls, the German shepherds, the Wattweilers and everything like that. Do You think that's one of the reasons why?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to do a good job explaining it, but I know that uncle Tom's cabin, um, I don't know if you're familiar with that Mm -hmm. uh, movie at all, but they had bloodhounds in those in that movie, I believe. And that was a big part of why those dogs got discriminated against. So movies definitely, they do play a big role. I mean, think about Cujo. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Ooh. I don't even, I don't even thought (laughs) about (sighs) Cujo. Yeah. So let's talk about what, besides the housing insurance, what else is the Animal Farm Foundation doing to help create a positive, um, like the book stops here against these dogs?
1: So, our service dog program was started to help change uh, the stereotypes of dogs that are labeled pit bull, um, because, you know, a dog is a dog is a dog, as I said before. And um, just because of the way that you look doesn't mean that you can't do the work of uh, purpose-bred purebred dogs. Um, if you have the personality type uh, for that job, um, you can do that job. So we take dogs from shelters, we go out. Um, and of course, with COVID, we've slowed down it and With the traveling out to shelters, Um, but we've had shelters transport some dogs to us during COVID. Um, And we take a look at the dog's personality and see do you like to do certain things that service dogs like to do? Uh, And we train those dogs to be service dogs for people. We've trained um, mobility dogs and hearing dogs and psychiatric service dogs—all dogs that came from shelters that labeled them a pit bull dog. Um, so it doesn't matter what you look like. What um, it just matters that you have the personality to do something. So it's been really great for our um, people that get those service dogs um, to go out into the community and to show that you know these dogs are just dogs. And
0: and actually you. I was sent a video that I actually wanna play right now because I think it kind of explains everything about, and then we'll jump off
2: from there. So that sound good? All right, great. At Animal Farm Foundation, our mission is to bring dogs and people together to end discrimination. And there's no better way to do that than working with folks who depend on dogs for equal access and full enjoyment of their lives. So it's important for us that we can fight stereotypes by finding dogs labeled pit bulls in the shelter and prove that they can do the same work traditionally reserved for purebred and purpose-bred dogs. So we're just turning that paradigm on its head to make that difference.
3: The impact of the service dog program that we have at Animal Farm is so much bigger than anyone could imagine because it's not just the individual dogs and the individual people. It's their families get to see them thrive. The dogs are in communities where they get to see them thrive. We get to work with shelters and see other animals thrive.
2: The dogs that we choose to do the service dog work for us, You know, we call it work, but for the dogs, we don't want it to feel like work. We want it to feel like their lives are full and enriched and have a good connection and a happy life with their handler. Even though they're working to give their handler equal access that we all enjoy, the dogs that are in this program don't really work a day in their lives. They're dogs that are feeling happy and satisfied in what they do each day. Animal Farm matches dogs with clients by
3: looking at the client's individual needs and then looking at the dogs in our care and what they can provide. Each dog can do a different job, each handler needs something different, but we also have to match the personality of the dog and the handler together. So we visit shelters. Um, There's a whole process that we go through, um, starting with just a simple walk through the kennel. When we're looking for dogs, uh, we're looking for dogs that have a really solid personality, are physically solid, meaning they don't have any physical issues. Their personality and temperament needs to be good with everything. So they need to be good with all people of all sizes. They need to be good with other dogs. The dogs have to be outgoing, friendly, and not show any aggression at all in a kennel. And they need to tolerate any kind of prey animals like cats and squirrels and things like that.
2: We are really fortunate, again, turning the paradigm on its head, to have a relationship with Rikers Jail, where the dogs that often become service dogs go through a training period at Rikers. And just like every sort of incarceration facility, it can get pretty chaotic. There lots of noises, lots of sounds, people coming and going, new people all the time. So our dogs learn a lot about what it means to cope with a day-to-day life and, and what it is like running into new things and novel experiences. And we learn a lot about our dogs and how they're going to handle it when something new or strange pops up into their environment.
3: Continuous training for our clients is very important because it solidifies the bond. Up front, it's important because the client needs to learn everything that the dog knows how to do. But further on down the line, the clients sometimes come up with other needs and the dog needs to be retrained for additional needs for our clients. Animal Farm Foundation gets all of its dogs from shelters and provides them to our clients at no cost to the client. We then provide training for the dog and client for the life of the dog at no cost. Everything with the service dog program is rewarding. We get to save lives of dogs that may or may not have made it out of shelters. We get to have relationships with really awesome dogs and then we get to meet really great people and have relationships with them. And then we get to watch the dog go on and be successful with that person.
2: The impact that this program has on the lives of the people who participate, of course it's immense. And they can all speak for themselves and let you know what a difference it's made for them. Sure, I assume that the family of the folks who have the dogs are thankful that their loved ones can get out and have that equal access. But I know just the visual, just seeing these dogs do the work that was reserved for uh, traditionally looking dogs or purebred purpose bred dogs. It's changing the minds of everyone they meet in their communities. We are impacting lives of people that we haven't even met yet, and I'm so grateful. If you'd like to learn more about what we do at Animal Farm Foundation, please visit us at AnimalFarmFoundation.org.
3: This program is made possible in part by...
0: And we're back. Uh, so Nikki, let's talk about the partnership with Riker P- Prison. How did that come about? Do you know how that came about?
1: Uh, yeah. So Rikers had originally been working with another organization who could no longer uh, do the program anymore. And luckily, um, the trainer there down at Rikers uh, is friends with our uh, director of behavior and training, Bernice. And she called her up and said, is this something that Animal Farm Foundation would be interested in doing? And we were like, absolutely, uh, very excited to to be involved in this program, especially because we get dogs that need to be okay with everything for the service mm-hmm. dog program. They have public access. They're going um, out and about, and they're in situations that normal pet dogs usually aren't in. So for dogs to have to go into a jail for eight weeks um, and be in situations that aren't normal situations um, and see how they do with them. Are they just like, cool, that's fine, and, and they move on? Great, like, let's try them for our service dog program. Um, and then some dogs, you know, being in there, they, they we might see things that are like, oh, well, you know, great, dog for a pet dog, but is is not happy in this environment and is not going to be happy doing public access stuff Um, and are better off just going into pet dogs. So we get to learn so much about uh, the dogs that are going into that program. And we're so lucky enough to have the participants be able to uh, teach the dogs basic training while they're in there. So then when they get out, we're ready to start doing the service dog training aspect of the program.
0: So what happens to the dogs that are in a aren't a perfect fit for the service dog program.
1: They get adopted. We adopt them out uh, through our website. We are in a small community. Um, we you know, we advertise them accordingly. Um, so it's very few. We don't have a big adoption um, program because uh, mostly we're training service dogs at our facility. But anybody that doesn't get adopted or doesn't go through the program gets adopted out right through us um so we do have a couple available dogs uh listed on our website if anybody's interested in checking it out and it's in the we're up in the dutchess county new york area
0: now how does all this all this service dog training and everything is provided at no cost for the the people that need service dogs but how does animal farm able to supplement their cost
1: we are privately funded, so most of our costs come from uh, one funder. Um, however, we do get donations from the public. Uh, we, the, the, the more donations that come in through the public, the more docs we can uh, provide to people that need them. So, two, two different ways. So, if they
0: want to donate, they can just go to animalfarmfoundation.org and contact somebody there, or is there a donate
1: page on there? Yep. Yeah, so you go to animalfarmfoundation.org. Um, there's a little donation button right in the on the corner of the screen. So you can just click on that and donate through that through the right through our website.
0: Now I love the fact that you're going through and you're looking at shelter dogs and that are normally overlooked and and the ones that are normally like they're not people don't think they're lovable and adoptable. And you're saving their lives, but you're also training them to save basically the lives of others to kind of help them get out of their shells. So let's talk about that whole purpose. Were you When they originally started the program, were they just focusing on pit bulls or were they focusing on other ones? And how did it come about to where now you're doing service dogs for a lot of people with with no cost to them?
1: Uh, Yeah, we uh, started with Pitbulls because we've been working with Pitbulls since the organization started. I don't know, since I think the mid-80s, Animal Farm Foundation has been around. And we really wanted to start um, the program to help remove those stereotypes for dogs. Um, And I think that the, the clients really love to be able to help us remove those stereotypes, but as well, it's just um, it's amazing to see the interaction between um, this clients and the dogs and how much more comfortable they are and how much more supported they feel um, to have those dogs by their side. That's I think the most rewarding thing to see with the program.
0: So what um, the service dogs were? the people that have the service
1: dogs, what do they suffer from? Um, we do yeah. mobility service dogs. So mm-hmm. the dogs are task trained to um, help uh, open doors or pick stuff up off the ground. If they're not able, you know, it's harder for them to pick things up off the ground. Uh, we train, um, hearing dogs. So the dogs will alert to a fire alarm or the microwave going off a knock at the door, a cell phone ringing, things like that. Um, And then we train psychiatric service dogs as well. So they'll alert to um, signs that somebody's having um, some anxiety or things like that. I love that. Now, each program
0: is specific to what service they're going into, correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. So all dogs are individuals, as we like to say here at Animal Farm Foundation, Um, and all people are individuals as well. Um, And you really have to find the right dog for the right person for the right task. So we really look at the dogs and say and and who we have lined up that has applications open um, to get a service dog and uh, train the dogs accordingly to the person. And then we do go on to do training with the clients as well uh, for the lifetime of the dog, we provide training. So um, depending on what the dog's, the person's needs are is how that dog's training is going to go. Now you just hit on something I want
0: to kind of elaborate on. You said that you train the dog according to the person. So you, you said you had the applications so people applied for service dogs and then you go like, okay, well, this one will be a good fit. It's like, it's not trained yet but they're kind of like in waiting. They're basically trained, but then you add the advanced
1: training into it once you get that person with the application. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah. When we first get the dogs into our facility, they have to go through a bunch of basic training um, that you're going to want your dog to do no matter what they go on to to train for. They need to know how to um, sit and stay and do simple, basic things like that. Um, and then, um, once we have a client ready, then we know, okay, well, this dog needs to, um, open door. So then we'll start the training on how to, how to tug to open a door. Um, so basically the
0: people that are applying, they don't get to go through and pick the dog they want. It's just kind of, you guys do the matchmaking for them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say we are really good matchmakers. Um, but we do have our um, our one of our service dogs, Brooklyn, and his handler Eric. Who he, he went and said, "I I really want this dog to work for me." He, you know, was at our shelter having um, just a little pow get together to talk um, about the program and meet some of the dogs that we thought would be a good match for him. And he said, "No, I really like this dog," and we we're like, "I don't know." and, and we made it work for him and they're like the best pair. They're in that video that you, that you shared. Um, and there'll be another video of him out soon, just him and Brooklyn doing their thing. Um, and he couldn't be happier. So sometimes we match make and sometimes it works out differently. Now let's say someone is
0: not local to when you said you guys were in New York, right? Yes not local to the New York area, but need a service dog. Can they still contact you that way?
1: We only train um, for people that are in within a two hour radius for us because we do so much follow-up training. Um, it's important to keep people very local. Um, for people that are, are not, I would just say Google your area and see what's available. It is a little bit harder to find um, places. Um, that train for free, but there's some grants and things out there that they should look into.
0: And obviously if they contact you, you probably can kind of send them on the search,
1: a first step on the search, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Give us a call. We're happy to help and see, you know, and help you look and see what's in your area and help you find the resources that you need. Absolutely. So going through and finding
0: these shelter dogs is is there a team that goes through shelters? You said within a two hour radius, do you guys go through the two hour radius or do people call you, shelter, call you and say, Hey, we got a couple of dogs down here. We need you to come look at.
1: Um, so in New England, there's not as many dogs as there is down South.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we tend to pre COVID travel more um, to the Southern States like uh, Texas and Georgia um north carolina places like that where there's population of dogs is um way more because the dogs up here um that are going to make great service dogs are going home a lot quicker um, and down there there's just so many dogs that um that we're we can more easily find dogs that we're looking for um in their shelter so we would head down um and tour all different shelters down there and uh take the dogs out um it's our director of behavior and training and the wonderful um girls that work at the shelter that would go down and take a look at the dogs and see if they're going to be a good fit um sometimes we'll take dogs from up here it really depends um yeah and then we get them here and sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't like i said we do have the adoption program um, but our dogs are from all over the country. <laughs> and sometimes shelters call us and say, Hey, I think we have a dog that might fit. And we say, all right, we'll have them talk to our director of behavior and training. And she asks more questions because there's a lot that does go into it.
0: Okay. I have two questions for that um, to follow up on that. One, do you prioritize the no kill over the kill shelters? Do you have a priority for that? Or, and the second one is the the transportation. How do you transport the animals back to where you guys are?
1: Um, yes. So we don't use language like no kill, kill shelters. Um, we think that all shelters are doing their best to Mm -hmm. keep dogs alive. And a lot of times it has to do with, uh, economic issues Mm -hmm. and not, um, because they want to, uh, kill dogs. Um, so we just look at shelters as a whole. Um, we look and make sure that the shelters don't have any, um, discriminatory policies uh, they're not not adopting out pit bulls just because they're pit bulls things like that um, that you know you don't really see too much anymore happily but sometimes you'll see you know some age restrictions or things like that to dogs that are pit bulls for really just the reason of their label and, and nothing at all um, so we do look at that but otherwise we're just looking um at the shelters as a whole and not you know what uh, what their, what their numbers are. Um, and for transport, we have a wonderful team in Georgia that transports our dogs. Most of our dogs for us, um, they do it, uh, for just because they love dogs and and just amazing people. Um, and they will just come on up and drop the dogs off for us. Um, and then sometimes depending on where we get the dogs from, we'll have, um, our shelter folks, which we haven't done since COVID, but we'll go down and and come back up and pick the dogs up um, or the shelters will just arrange transport based on what they normally do. So it really depends on the organization. I love how you say you don't because a lot of
0: in the South you hear kill and no kill people keep like saying we need to get this this dog out of this shelter because of their policies and you know I love how you guys don't discriminate about that. Now you brought up something too, age restrictions. Do you look at a certain age for a dog to be a service dog. It does it kind of because you know a lot of the older dogs may not be a great fit for a service dog.
1: Right, because it takes a long time to train the dog. So you're looking at a year or more of training. So if you get a dog that's older and then you, you use up that some time for training and then they go to the clients, they don't have, you know, dogs, unfortunately, don't live as long as we do. And so we have to really take that into account. Um, so we usually look 18 months to two years old is is the you know guideline. Um, but we certainly um, we don't have it's not set in stone. So if we find a dog that's fabulous, that's outside of the, those parameters, Mm it means that we might take that dog anyway.
0: Yeah. I love that because honestly, I don't think Well, Gigi is three, she'll be four this year, but I don't think Gigi wouldn't fit into your program because she's skittish. She's very skittish, Mm -hmm. but she fits as a household pet because she is so like lovable, but thank you so much for everything you're doing to raise awareness about these dogs because they deserve so much love. And I know that our local animal shelter, when they start listing dogs, they have a page page on Facebook. They don't list the breed of the dog. I mean, obviously oh, yeah. you can look at the dog, but they don't list the breed because they feel like it's discriminatory toward the
1: dog. Well, you, uh, yeah. we, one of the things that we do for work is uh, with our work is we inform um shelters and just the general public that you 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 cannot look at a dog and know what it is so if a dog's mm-hmm. coming into your shelter and you guessing at a breed you're making that up and then and then what happens there is um stereotypes for those breeds no matter what they are are being put on them with the public so say Uh, My neighbor had a boxer and you're labeling a dog a boxer mix and I didn't necessarily like the neighbor's dog because it would bark at me through the Mm -hmm. fence. Then I'm going to be like, oh, no, I'm going to pass that dog along because of that label that's very arbitrary. And we don't know any, you know, even if that dog is a boxer, we don't know if it's going to do the things that your previous guy did. So it makes it a lot easier to say we don't know what any dog is, but here's their personality. And what are you looking for in a dog? That's most important. And a lot of
0: it goes back to the owners and how they train their dogs, too, as well, because some of the owners do train their dogs to be vicious And I think that's where they're trying to place the blame on the dog instead of how they were trained. Right. Yes. Yep.
1: Absolutely. So is there anything else that you want to share with us? I think that's it. I just think it's so important that uh, everybody takes away. Just know that every dog is an individual and looks don't equal behavior. And uh, yeah, that's it.
0: Okay. so. Thank you so much for coming on, Nikki. And I am actually going to remove both of us from the screen and leave everybody with this cute little face that's behind me. I uploaded a picture just so that she could, we could have a face so people can know what we're talking about. And you look at this face and tell me this is not the cutest dog ever. Oops. I'm trying
3: to get her back up here. <laughs> what happened here we go she is gorgeous so
0: guys we will see you on the next chat from the Block cabin and Nikki thank you so much for being on
1: thank you so much for having me bye guys
0: y'all I hope you really enjoy this episode I cannot thank you enough for being part of the podcast family. Um, please like, leave a rating, a review wherever you listen to. Um, download it, become a subscriber, subscribe to it, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I love people who subscribe. Drop me a line um, anywhere you listen to it, let me know what you would like to see next coming up. Because I am got some amazing things in the works um, and some amazing interviews still yet to come. So I really want to thank you once again for being part of the podcast family. And as always, be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting.